Podcasts are an independent way for podcasters like me to bring a local voice to your ears. At the Spent the Rent Podcast, we strive to raise awareness of topics that affect the often underrepresented. Our title sponsor, Oregon Cashflow Pro, offers free money management advice that can help you take control of your finances. At OregonCashflowPro.com, you will find videos to guide you towards your goal of financial freedom. For more info, there will be a link in the show notes. The following podcast is available on all major streaming sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can now listen to all previous episodes, donate to the podcast, and buy shirts directly from the Spent the Rent podcast at our newly designed official website, strpod.com. Welcome to the Spent the Rent Podcast. I am your host, Patty Rose. My guest today for the seventh time is a dear friend, host of his own podcast, The Broken Class Podcast, my dear friend, Thomas Hira. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, homie. I've seen this intro on the other side of the computer so many times, so it's nice to be back here seeing it on this side. Yeah, this is the first time we've done it like this, uh, this setup. You've been in-house a couple times, but it's always a treat to have you. This was on short notice, uh, and so... Bear with us because I've been in Washington, D.C., and I just got back. I'm going to talk a little bit about this at the end of this episode, about that trip. It was pretty phenomenal, uh, some of the stuff that we got to do. But, you know, it's been nine days since the midterm election. California is still counting votes to decide the winners in the House, I think. Is that true? I might be kidding. (laughs) Uh, I know that they've taken a long time, but it has now been announced that the Republicans will take control of the House of Representatives, but by a much thinner margin than originally expected. Nancy Pelosi is not only handing over the gavel, she is stepping down from leadership of the Democrats in the House, and it sounds like Hakeem Jeffries is the front runner to take over. So that's uh, that's pretty big news. That actually happened, I think, today. Yeah, heck yeah, we're breaking that. <laughs> yeah, we're <laughs> the, the ones breaking it. Yeah, no doubt. I think she was in office um, since 1987. She's still going to have her representative seat for that district in San Francisco area, but. Um, she will not be the Speaker of the House. She will not be on that Democratic leadership side. So that's a woman who she became the first woman Speaker of the House in uh, the W years. Yeah. So yeah. it's uh, it's an institution, essentially. You know, and like her or not, I mean, and I know there's a lot of people on the right that despise her, but the, the reality, and on the left, actually, in some ways. But oh, the thing is, is definitely. that she is somebody that has gotten a lot done. So her record... Is I mean, she was somebody that has gotten a lot of bills through because she knew how to how to get it done. One of the things I want to mention is I was looking just on the socials and I saw uh, AOC commenting. People were asking her if she's going to vie for it. And she was like, first of all, where I'm at, no, in the position that I'm at because of the way that she stands up to leadership in the party, for one, and also because she's new. I mean, she's young still relatively, and she's got progressive ideals. And she said, sometimes you don't actually get to do the things that you want because you have to settle in order to get the votes. And so I want to tip my cap as a Democrat to Nancy Pelosi for her career because of the fact that she kind of was a bridge and that she brought people to the, you know, to the middle of whatever the party is, whatever that means, and was able to get a lot done, namely, uh, you know, with Obama getting... Uh, even though there wasn't the single payment uh, option, but getting uh, Affordable Health Care Act to go through was a big deal. Yeah, yeah, a lot of strong, strong, sweeping legislative accomplishments. Um, and what I saw from her speech today, she mentioned that when she began, there were 12 Democratic women in the House, and now there were over 90. Wow. And so it really is a part of seeing the Congress look a little more like the country. As long as they're also serving the interests of, you know, everyday working class people and people from, you know, normal, marginalized, non-elite communities, then I'm chilling. Right. So. So back to the election, the Democrats won the Senate, which is a a big shock, actually, to a lot of people. And they've secured the power of the Senate even before the Georgia runoff. Uh, I think the most notable uh, winner is John Fetterman in Pennsylvania, who won running on Medicare for All in a swing state and won by a bigger margin than Biden did in 2020. Progressive policies are much more popular than the corporate Democrats would like to admit. Would you agree with that? Uh, I think that there's many examples that are suitably... Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that on some level. Um, I think that minimum wage 
uh, is something that has been opposed, for example, in key moments by Kirsten Cinema, even though she tweeted years ago, hashtag raise the wage. Um, we live in a government that's bought and sold in many ways by yeah. corporate lobbying and corporate interests. So even if you hold values that the public would support and that everyday folks would really benefit from and would be an example of making the government really work for them, um, getting towards that space where it's really passing and becoming law in the same, uh, you know, pure way without being compromised by a whole bunch of other crap is important and difficult. So, uh, it's almost like, um, with the amount of people in the house, for example, like there's enough human beings in the house and then a hundred of them still in the Senate where, it just doesn't seem that hard to buy enough of the votes you need if you are a multi-billionaire uh, person who is connected with the interests of other people in that strata of society. Uh, my thing, I'm you know, I'm a little bit moderate. I I like rich people. I just don't really believe that the richest of rich people. Because when I say rich people, like millionaires and stuff. Yeah, that's not. Even I know that people. Yeah, you know, anymore. Like, that's not even that much money. It's, right. I mean, that'll get you like ten gallons of gas. But right. uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but but if you have um, over a hundred million dollars, it's a you have to really prove yourself to me for me to like you, <laughs> right. because I don't want to sound biased, but it just I don't see how a person unless they're really investing a lot of that back in or donating or or making a significant difference in enough that of a way that you need to have that money and people who employ people too, I get that that's cool. Uh, it just. Mostly, there's an exploitative nature to how one would accrue that much, and so I'm generalizing. But there's no the such rich thing as be... a self-made billionaire. That's a fact. You know mm. that, that you did not do that alone. That's impossible. So you were talking about lobbyists, and I wanted to mention something that I learned in D.C. That when uh, Grant was president, right? So uh, Ulysses S. Grant, he was he would hang out at the. It was new at the time, but old Ebbets Grill, and uh, he would hang out because he didn't like hanging out in the White House. He felt like it was too stuffy for him. And I learned, I mean, this is an anecdotal thing that was told on a tour bus, but still. Uh, and so you'd hang out at Old Ebbets Grill and people would hang out in the lobby that they didn't want to get a table because they weren't planning on eating, but they were trying to like talk to him. Right. And that's where the name lobbyists came from. Oh, okay. And I, I was like, that's, at least that's what they said on the tour bus. It's kind of yeah. interesting. I could see that. That they were like, those, those lobbyists over there. You know, don't don't give them any time or day. Tour bus etymology. Yeah, Do we yeah, trust right. it? <laughs> Go to DC. Go to DC, and and we're gonna talk about it a little bit at the end. But man, uh, yeah, we'll get to that later. So sure. uh, let's you know the Democrats, like I said, avoided the the much anticipated red wave, and the Republican Party looks like they have a Donald Trump problem. Red it sounds trickle. Like, yeah, his endorsement is actually as hurtful as it is helpful. You know, would you agree with that assessment? It depends on where you are. Um, Herschel Walker hasn't lost yet. That's true. Um, Carrie Lake galvanized uh, enough of a base to be competitive, but that state in Arizona is just any statewide race, man, governors or Senate, those races require people that can actually appeal to enough people. And one of the things that I feel we learned th through this election, you know, this is our third election in a row, national election, a repudiation of Trumpism, third in a row that we've had that, plus like things like the Georgia runoffs. And so that's when I see that people are smart enough to say we're kind of done with that and we're done with election denying as being the key component of what political offering you, you give as a candidate. What public policy offering, if it's just election denying, yeah. I'm sorry, it's not a good way to win elections. And so people have repudiated that in this election and I'm very, very glad to see that. Yeah. Um, but you know, JD Vance, he beat Tim Ryan. That was it, a tough one, you know, cause Tim Ryan, I'm actually a, a fan of, especially for Ohio. You know, I think that he ran a really good campaign and he got handled. I mean, he lost pretty handily It was, yeah. and it was rough because I like having him in the Senate Yeah, and, and you know, uh, but with Lake Fetterman, you brought up earlier, I didn't get to comment just, sorry, I, just, no, I don't, go, doesn't go mean ahead. I need to get to comment on everything, but that is a template that I hope Democrats take and understand. When I look at what I hope that the Democratic Party, Democrat Party learns from this experience, I hope it's not that um, that we don't need to offer big policy change, right? If we that we just need to emphasize the very real and uh, urgent threat 
to reproductive rights, that was majorly emphasized. And that galvanized enough people, especially young people, to come out in a midterm. And that was how we won. It was an amazingly successful strategy. Um, but I do also hope that economic proposals um, that are working class oriented and that cater to the working poor um, and families, uh, those also continue to be kind of at the forefront of the Democratic legislative agenda. It's going to be weird now with divided government. The House is only going to probably pass bills that are really distasteful to the Senate, to the democratically controlled Senate. Um, but I hope that people see that the way that John Fetterman ran and what he focused on, in spite of immense challenges, health challenges in the campaign and questions about that, he was able to succeed and not even by a tiny margin. He beat he beat that guy, Mehmet Oz. I do think that, I mean, and John Fetterman won big time because I think he's pretty popular, but, but, you know, Mehmet Oz is not even from Pennsylvania, you know, you know, I mean, he's from New Jersey. There's a lot of reasons not to vote for Dr. Oz, you know? And so I think that there, there was a lot of pretty terrible candidates on the right that Trump has, has created this brand of reality television politics that is absolutely disgusting and needs to go away. You know, that it's not even... I mean, you, for one, you can't throw a fit when you don't get your way. That's not how the world works. Things are slow in, in, in Washington and, in, and across the country for a reason, because we don't want fringe people on either extreme to come in and just completely turn things on their head. That's actually causes disruption in our financial sector. Like there's so many things that are dangerous when you just flip things on their head. And the people that they've put out there are, I mean, Dr. Oz is a snake oil salesman, you know, no doubt. You, know you know, and so, but John no doubt, Fetterman but he was extremely, that, extremely media trained. Yeah. Um, and John Fetterman was elect. You were talked about a uh, election denial. John Fetterman was made popular on protecting our elections, you mm-hmm. know, as the Lieutenant governor, you know? And so, right. so, and so was Katie Hobbs in Arizona. And as the mayor of Braddock, Pennsylvania. Right. And so um, took, you know, took really to heart the safety of his citizens. He, he, when a person died violently in Braddock while John Fetterman was mayor, he would get the date that it occurred tattooed on, I believe his arm. Is that so what he, that is? Wow. Yeah. And, um, just that kind of person who, um, the Democrats have lost some territory, honestly, with, uh, certain demographic groups and men are amongst them, uh, Big slipping. Time. Big time. Uh, Sometimes yeah, me. Yeah. Non-college yeah. Edu- educated men. Um, not just white, you know, no, of Hispanic no. and black and Asian uh, racial and ethnic background as well. And and we should think about why that is. And I don't believe that that means we have to compromise on things like reproductive rights or no. or on I mean, I think issues that it, of I justice. I think that it becomes an issue of what is government's role in some of the culture wars. Because society can have those conversations all they want, but where is government's role? That's the debate. A lot of people are like, this is, we need to be debating on, on, you know, infrastructure and economics and stuff like that. Societal stuff is society's job. When I talk about this election proving that you should run on things that really matter to people and that really materially affect and positively benefit people's lives, another example of that is because they're part of why the Republicans dropped the ball so badly. Imagine going into the fourth quarter with Dame Lillard on your team and Anthony Simons and you're up, 20, and you're up 25 points with six minutes left and you lose. That's essentially what the Republicans did. And why? I believe it's in part because they only ran on inflation is bad and you don't know what a woman is and these just blown out of proportion cultural hot points and just economic accusation without remedy. They didn't oh, yeah. talk. There's no strategy. All they said was spending is bad, and that caused inflation. That is such well, Ale- uh, first grade assessment. We're gonna get. We're gonna talk about Alex Carlotto said that he was gonna he was gonna fight to lower costs for women's health care. What the hell does that even mean? When a guy that's I don't even he know. wasn't. It was super silly, sly wording, and he wasn't talking about reproductive. He was talking about women and their health, but it's going to lower. Costs he wasn't for talking about women's health. He can lower costs for healthcare as a whole when there's a ton of people that now do not have healthcare. That was the that was the way that they would lower costs. It lowers costs for the affluent because the poor people now don't have coverage. Yeah, the people that are still able yeah. to be healthy 
you're going to do better, homie, because... So, so let's talk about some of the races in Oregon. Uh, I mean, we'll start with the governor. Start at the top. Tina Kotek takes it. This was extremely, extremely close, which is not typical for Oregon, but did not come as much of a surprise to me. I want to talk about Betsy Johnson first. I've mentioned her a lot on the podcast. I personally think that even though she only got around 9%, and I was expecting more like 19 9% is slim. And I think that a lot of people, there was this standoff where people were like, I got to make the better. It was, it's interesting. I think people are finally getting the, the note that you have to protest vote in a primary. And in a general election, you're going to have to pick two of the, of the main top ticket candidates. You I was know, a little surprised. Ultimately, as it became close to the election and I saw the polls, it was clear she wasn't going to get like 10, 11, 12, 19, 20. And those probably swayed people. But early on, that's true. Early on, I did not think that she would go as low as she did. And I think one of the things that hurt her is just simply not being a presence at all in the primary. You know, not being on any ballots at all in the primary. She just did her petition campaign. Very impressive. Obviously a well-connected person. And we talked about rich people earlier. She comes from pretty big money. (laughs) Um, But she and I went to the same college, uh, many decades apart, but... Um, I have met her. I have a certain amount of um, respect for her. And uh, what I don't like about her campaign was that I, I, I mean, she has every right to run and she had the right to bring herself into the conversation. But I also think that as the writing was on the wall, her reason for staying in the race had a little more to do with just the fact she didn't want Tina Kotek in office and believed Drazen would be a better choice. Well, and I hope Tina Kotek has learned from watching. And she does. And then the right, actually, a lot of people that I see think that the opposite's true. No, I know. (laughs) Betsy Johnson, it depends on what side that people fall on that they're like, she's just this and that. You know, it's not. No, I I hope Tina Kotek takes to heart what was happening in this election and why Christine Drazen received, you know, 46% of the 47, whatever percent of the vote that was a lot. Because there's a lot of people that are really frustrated with what's happening in our streets in Springfield, and I'm not trying to be anti-homeless or any of that stuff, but there's a lot of people that do not like the idea of tent cities, and Tina Kotek talked about, she tried really hard to distance herself from a Kate Brown leadership, and I don't think it's fair to say that she's going to be Kate Brown. They're different people, you know what I'm saying, you know, but I do hope that she does things that keeps some of the people that voted for her from the right, even because that does happen or, or from the middle, I hope she keeps what they said to heart when she actually runs or when she actually is in office, because in a campaign, you bump elbows with people that you agree with people that you don't agree with people that are abhorrent, the people that are abhorrent, you might have to ignore, but the people in the middle that actually have some ideas, I hope that people that won these elections, listen to those people a little bit. It would be wrong for her to not give a thorough chance to the people and the points that were articulated to her by those people. I agree. And also this, the reciprocal is true. Those people who are upset that she won, I hope that they give her a chance. I agree. I mean, I, I will say this. When Donald Trump was elected president, yes, my hair was on fire. It's red. But like the, the thing is, is that I, I hoped, I had this sliver of hope in 2016 that he would be different than the typical two-party system and that he might be able to be like, look, like call balls and strikes on his own team. Boy, was I wrong. He was a monster, Hmm. you know, but well, I was right all along. I gave (laughs) this, I had this hope in the back of my mind that he would be different and it was just not the way that it works. I mean, you could probably find a a couple policy issues where his willingness to buck the orthodoxy um, had some benefit. I mean, a broken clock is... I have no problem saying that, and I could probably, I don't feel the need to point to specific things because I don't really want to give him credit because the problem is... At, while those things and those accomplishments exist, you really have just a person who has a hundred times over taken the destruction of some of our most sacred and important principles like a democratic process, like general, you know, humane equity for, for immigrants, etc. That person, he's just shit on those things so many times and gleefully done so. So it's hard for me to want to do the, the correct, I think, nuanced uh, evaluation. Um, but the other part of having a nuanced evaluation is knowing that like all presidents have done really bad things. All presidents have had have done things of the all U.S. presidents have seriously harmed a lot of people. Yeah. You know, I mean, there was that one guy who died after who died while giving his speech. Maybe he didn't uh, 
uh, and there's a couple. There's another one who died within like three months of getting three weeks of getting in office. Maybe they get off the hook, man, because I don't like to use unequivocal language that much. He might I'm have like, tore shit up in his first hundred days, dude. You don't know. Are you talking about? Uh, is it Cleve? Uh, I don't remember. It, between uh, presidents eight and about fifteen, no one knows and cares much about them unless they're a historian. You better not be talking shit not... on Taft. <laughs> no. Anyway, let's move on. So, Oregon's fourth congressional district. And wait, did you have any more you wanted to talk about, Tina Kotek? Um, I'm very uh, appreciative of so many of the elements of her campaign, and um, I think that one difference I can articulate between Brown and Kotek, if people want to know is that Kate Brown had a very consensus, um, a slower, more deliberate uh, process that was probably characterized by consensus-driven thinking, whereas Tina Kotek has shown a very rambunctious, uh, aggressive, and sometimes uh, quick uh, way of trying to get legislative accomplishments taken care of. And so there's an urgency with Kotek that I think is a little different than Brown. Yeah. That's just my no. I, I like you said. What I've I think observed. you nailed it when you said you hope that the people that did not vote for her give her a shot. And I Kotek think- is mentioned in my uh, ni- 2019 video I made in my uh, campaign actually, because nice. she was calling for a state of emergency on homelessness. And so you, I mean, she ran on that, and yeah. it's not a lie. It's true that she was doing that. And right, he was listening to her. So I we'll ran see. on that. We'll see what happens. I do have. Uh, a comment from a, a listener, Mayor Sean Van Gordon. Shout out to Mayor Sean Van Gordon. Uh, it was William Harrison who who was the person that died after three months. Uh, thank you so much Couple for that. Weeks. And congratulations, Sean Van Gordon, on, on, a, on a re-election for the mayor of Springfield. Even though he ran unopposed, uh, he was out there campaigning, and, and he's a great mayor for Springfield, and we're, we're glad to have you in office. Yeah, it's pretty cool to know that he's watching, so thank you. For that, I have been trying to brush up on a lot of my presidential history, but once you precede uh, the second Roosevelt, again, there's a big gap between Lincoln and when I start caring, and <laughs> just is what it is. Yeah, there's a lot there. So now let's move on to uh, Congress. Oregon's fourth congressional, uh, Val Hoyle, uh, defeated Alex Carlados. Alex Carlados defeated himself in this election, and I think it was a lot closer than it should be because I think that the qualifications were super imbalanced. I think that Val Hoyle, she can call her a career politician or you can call her someone that knows how actual you know leadership works. Uh, I, I think that she uh, has fought for workers' rights. Uh, I've said it ad nauseum. I think all the people that were in her campaign ads and stuff, even though they the, the ones that were about her, not about Alex Carlados, uh, I think they believed what they were saying because she has gone to bat for them. I will say this, that campaign got ugly and I'm not, I don't think anybody likes the negative attack ads, but it was, unfortunately, it was overwhelming. It, it definitely was inundating. And I think a lot of people, it scores no points, but I think that getting the, getting it out there, what kind of person Alex Carlados was, is something that needed to be done. And I'm, I'm happy to see that a vetting process for the voters can be effective because I mean, that's what an election is for, is to make sure that you're not putting someone in that's a monster. And I'm not saying he's a monster. I mean, he was young and maybe down the road, he might be able to do some stuff. And I don't think a comment you made on a podcast years before, but we're not talking decades before. We're talking 2018. Yeah. Um, The same year he ran for Douglas County Commissioner, I believe. It would be a disservice, I believe, to the over decade of strong, sturdy, um, legislative and executive leadership that Val Hoyle has shown for me to talk too much about the Scarlatos guy in our segment Fair. on CD4. Fair. You know, I'll say one thing, which is that uh, he he probably ran reasonably intelligently, but is just was compromised by a, a lack of relevant experience that was evident to people um, and those comments and sort of just silly antics and being the Dancing with the Stars candidate. I mean, yeah. You know, I do have a feeling we'll probably see him run for something again in our lifetimes because you and I are probably going to knock on wood live for another 30, 40, 50 years. I don't, but, got, I don't got it in me. But Val Hoyle is an enormously talented and um, coalition building leader. You know, she uh, I believe she is a really good choice for this district. Um, and I first met her in like 2012, 2013, I believe 2013 lobbying um, on behalf of volunteer lobbying, not paid lobbyists. We're talking about that. But, um, Just hanging out in the lobby. <laughs> for uh, some environmental concerns and bringing those to her when she was the only a state representative of House District 14. And, um, 
yeah, she's she's always been a real straight shooter, and I hope that she can make the connections needed to affect the legislative agenda of the U.S. House of Representatives in a positive way for two years, at least, um, until she's reelected, because uh, is it going to be Kevin McCarthy be the House Speaker? I, I, so. I, be, I, I believe it is, because I believe Rick Scott tried to challenge him, but it will be Kevin McCarthy. So the legislative agenda, it's probably going to be concerning to people like with my worldview, um, but having Val Hoyle in there, um, I hope she continues to build on the excellent legacy of constituent services. Yeah. Uh, so West Lane County Commissioner, this is a really important one. Uh, the West Lane County Commissioner, is it West? It's West. Correct. Yes. Okay. West Lane County Commissioner's seat is going to change the direction of the, the county dramatically. Uh, wins by Ryan Seneca and David Lovall in the Springfield area will shift the balance of power on the county board to a, a conservative majority. I've said this before in the past. Conservatives have had the majority for most of the past. It's been recent that it switched. And, and, you know, we saw a lot of changes in the structure of, of government, especially in Springfield. I, there's been a lot of good things that have happened by some conservatives in Springfield. And I will say that, but that being said, we've noticed a shift in, uh, the treatment of, uh, marginalized groups in language that's used in Springfield. And I just wonder how much of that's going to stay. Uh, hmm. you know, we'll see, it's going to be a very different leadership and what's happening in the, uh, West Lane County area, which it goes all the way to the coast, but I believe it covers River Road as well, right? Uh, Santa Clara, north of Bell Line, there's okay. a lot of stuff, yeah. And so there's a lot happening in that area where there's a lot of people mobilized on the conservative side that are not going to go away without making it, you know, they're not going to go away at all. You know, Ryan Seneca, and he, his, he got on the school board, and then he did this, and... Uh, it's going to be interesting to see a change in leadership. You know, I, I don't think the world's going to end or anything like that, but I do definitely think it's going to be a lot different the way that the county approaches stuff. Yeah, I mean, with a five-person board, every member brings a, a large, you know, shift to any potential discussion. Um, Love all's outspoken. It's probably going to he's probably we're going to hear him talking about a lot of things he doesn't believe in and uh, that are previous priorities of of the county. Um, I don't know much about Seneca. Uh, Nice to know that he's been on a school board. I think anybody who's been on a school board might be able to bring some knowledge, but I was definitely wanting Don Leslie to yeah. to win that one, and I really believe in her super, super strongly in whatever avenue she chooses to insert her voice into the public discourse. Um, but you haven't mentioned Heather Buck in the Eastern District, which um, she won her election in May and won now to be the re-elected commissioner uh she hasn't been there all that long you know this is her only she first re-election of the board too is she i, I could see that i don't I, know if she is currently or if she was i don't remember who took it after bernie i think i, I think, think it was, was her Buck. yeah the, i think yeah. it was her well she's a she's a really um astute studious person yeah and she's uh, done i mean one of the things that that county board what i've learned from doing the show and also with my partner working for the county the thing that lane county does i mean the they're job is really emergency response. I mean, it's a, one of the, one of the major oh, yeah. areas, you know, and it's something that Heather Buck has shined in emergency response with the holiday farms fire. And, you know, we, I mean, we just continue to see fires in Oak Ridge and, and, and all this, or the threat of fire. And I think we narrowly missed it, you know, this last summer, but she's been working on rural broadband yeah, as well. She's been crushing it. And yeah, the County is a real service provider in a way that a lot of the municipalities in, within it, uh, cannot really compete, you know, and yeah. so that leadership is really important. We'll keep a close eye, and I, I do want to avoid over partisanizing and thinking about what majority exists where. I mean, that's fair because, because it is a nonpartisan seat. Isn't that a rigidifying, you know, sort of idea? I that's mean, fair. I, I believe that Commissioner Farr would probably say, yeah, on some things I'm conservative, on some things he's quite progressive. Yeah, that's fair, you know? and that's good. That's one thing I like about Commissioner a board. Farr has a trans child and is absolutely just. Sure. in love with his trans and that's child. what i love about a board in in some ways where it's a group of people that all have they communicate with each other much like how the supreme court works are supposed to work you know like that it's a group of people with different ideas that come together and then they ultimately vote and decide you know the, the classic city council scalia friendship sure yeah where absolutely. they went to opera together so we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll not just you know not pull our hair out that the that the majority is shifting i'm still just very happy with how much 
how well this election went on so many fronts. In a man. lot of ways. Locally, though, it was interesting because it seems like it went pretty well for the for the Democrats nationwide. But locally, it feels like there was definitely a pushback on some of the uh, Democratic stronghold. You know, and so uh, that's the way that things go when you have power for a long time. Uh, so real last thing on that, what are some areas that you think that we'll see almost uh, immediate changes and the most changes with the new leadership? I think I kind of just mentioned one major one that, you know, we'll see with emergency response, but I think that that's going to be fine. I think that we're going to be good there. Well, there are certainly different ideas with regard to public health. Yeah, and about how we absolutely and how we approach homelessness. I mean, during COVID, if we had this leadership, things would have been dramatically different. So take that for what it is. It would, have, you know, under it, there's no question in my mind that businesses would have ran without closing their doors. Right. And I'm not saying that is a good or bad. I'm just saying that there would be a difference in leadership. I don't know the right answer to that. I'm not the person to ask. I'm just saying it would have been much different. Yeah. You know, the along came Trudy's would have. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so ballot measures, we're going to go over some of those. Uh, you know, there's other seats, obviously, that we could mention uh, before we move on. But I don't Floyd Przanski wasn't a very contested race. Uh, you know, James Manning. Uh, he defeated Raquel Ivey. Yeah, that's a big one. Yeah, there weren't a lot of close margin. Yeah, no big um, surprises. Christina Stevenson, you know, in, in the... She beat Sherry Helt for the Bowley Commissioner, yeah. Right, for Lane County Commissioner. So that's, a, I mean, that was kind of expected. And then, for Labor, you know, Labor Commissioner. Labor Commissioner, sorry. So um, uh, the, Nancy Nathanson defeated Tim Sutherland in House District 13. Nancy Nathanson has not been defeated in, I think, her entire legislative career. Yeah. Um, she used to be on the Eugene City Council. Ran for mayor against Kitty Piercy in 2004, I believe. Wow. Yeah. Uh, what was the uh, congressional race that got national attention? McLeod Skinner. Yeah. Well, Andrea Salinas as well versus Mike Erickson. Um, it's pretty amazing. You know, two Latinas will be elected from Oregon to Congress. One Republican and one Le a Democrat. <laughs> well, that's good representation. Yeah. yeah. Um, Lori Chavez Dreamer, the former mayor of Happy Valley. Um I think a lot of her, some of her campaigning was uh, slippery. <laughs> you move to the general and you try to disavow some of the stop the steely stuff that she sure. said before. And, you know, when it comes to the integrity of our elections, I think I can't, I can't point at her and say you should have learned your lesson because she did win. Um, but I hope people that um, traffic in um, discourse lies. that isn't propped up by evidence, yeah. right? Because if you have real solid evidence, that's a different scenario. But discourse that isn't propped up by evidence, which is like the almost entire majority of people saying stop the steal and Trump da da da, uh, with winning the 2020 election. Yeah, we don't we don't want to see that. That's not fighting for. We elect people to fight for the concerns of people trying to make it in the world. We don't. I don't elect somebody because they did a really good job propping up some liar. <laughs> right you know so yeah moving on we're going to talk about ballot measures in oregon uh on your land county ballot this i think broke today i think that the uh actual results were decided today <clears throat> the health care bill uh changing the language in the oregon constitution that uh requires oregon to offer uh health care as a human right affordable health care i'm not sure what that means affordable health care necessarily i was a strong strong supporter of this because it starts moving us in a direction towards uh, universal health care. It's going to be extremely difficult to get universal health care if it's only the state that's funding it. That's going to be very difficult because there's just not enough money. And we might be able to get some federal help on this. And that's my hope. And I hope that this actually takes some, gets some traction nationwide because I think it's a pretty popular thing uh, nationwide. Uh, I'm a firm believer in universal health care because we have way too many people that fall through the crap cracks and then way too many places where you're stuck in a job that you hate because you don't want to lose your health care for even a month if you're relying on insulin or anxiety medicine to function or whatever it is. It's just something that I, I talk about health care ad nauseum about how important universal health care would be for our society in so many different ways. One of them, I was, I was going to be so irritated if this didn't pass and I thought it hadn't passed to be honest with you. But one of the ways that I've, I've tried to talk to people that were very pro second amendment and very just gun, gun, gun. That's why they vote number one issue. And we're going to talk about 114 in a second, but here was an opportunity that I see that people are like, well, it's not about the gun. It's about people's mental health. And I'm like, okay, can we make sure that people actually have access to healthcare then? And they're like, well, no, 
You know, it's like nobody wants to ever do anything about healthcare because they're like, I'm fine. I have health insurance through my employer. I don't really worry about anyone else. I've even had people tell me I had a guy, I did an episode about healthcare and I had a guy message me and he said, do you understand how long it would take for it to be seen right now? It, he's like, if you're on OHP, sometimes it takes you months to get seen. And I'm like, do you understand why and what you're saying? You're saying that once we open up accessibility to other individuals so that everybody has the ability to be seen by a doctor, then that makes it harder. Yes, that may be true to an extent. But that being said, that is a very messed up way of looking at the world. Like, that's like saying, like, I have this plate full of food and you're hungry. If I give you a quarter of my food, I'm going to. You'll be full, but I'm going to have less food. It's, you know, you know, I mean, it's just, a. I don't look at the world like that. I mean, we need to, there needs to be a balance between individual rights and collectivism. We can't just have it only thinking about me fighting for myself and that's it. But yeah, you know, I'm super, pa- you know, stoked at this past and I'm really anxious to see where they go with it. This does not guarantee healthcare. I want that to be clear. It does not guarantee mm-hmm. that you have health insurance now. It means that the legislation, we basically by a very thin margin, 50.6%, uh, basically the voters are saying that they're interested in having that as an option going in that direction. And that's what the bill was for. It was changing the language so that maybe they can work the funding differently. You know, and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. And the fact that Tina Kotek won as governor will mean that we will continue to have task force that's going to be working on this or whatever with Drazen, that would have been gone, mm. you know, you know, for one thing that would have been off the table. Oregon has demonstrated a lot of leadership in terms of the viability of a public um, component to healthcare. I mean, public investment in healthcare uh, and the frankly activist and cultural movements that have demanded healthcare as a human right in Oregon for decades have been wanting um, this direction to be where we move. And frankly, I think a lot of um, boogeymanning and hype and scaring and, you know, back to Palin and talking about death panels, like for years, people have demonized the idea that the government can help protect you while also believing that they are the only ones that should protect you in a certain other form of domains and being very uh, pro-military and police and and those things being a form of protection, but not also filling in the gap of the daily wellness component and, the, and having a decent relationship with a physician who cares about you. Everybody deserves access to those things. So I think your, your analogy is pretty correct. Yeah. And yeah, so I'm glad that passed. And I found that out today, like literally two hours ago. So I saw, cause I follow them. Really? On, yeah, I follow them on Instagram and whatever the healthcare for all Oregon. And they were like, we're gleeful. Like we did it. They couldn't believe it. Cause literally it's like 50.6%. It like barely passed. And there's only yes and no running. All the measures passed, right? There's no third party in a yes or no uh, ballot measure. I believe all the measures passed. Is that right? I believe so. And I believe I I, I was a yes on all of them. uh, You know, the way I was voting, the parks bill passed, the jail bill passed in Springfield and Springfield residents are very concerned about crime, you know, and I, and I, I know that everyone that I talked to, uh, basically there was a common response that I heard that they don't want Springfield to be like Eugene. Is definitely the response that they want accountability for those who break the law. So take that that as it is. I personally want that, but I also want to make sure that the rules apply to everyone equally. You know, and I've talked about this ad nauseum on the podcast about police accountability that we want. Uh, you know, I, I don't think the only answer to, to to dealing with like the drug issue, for example, is just policing. That's not the only answer. You know, healthcare again is one of the things that we need. We need access to healthcare so that people can get mental health care. You know, and all I really want to say about this, because you know, I didn't vote on the Springfield thing or nothing, is that Midas Well is a gentleman who I really loved. I found out he passed away recently. Did you hear about this? Yes. He's not a perfect reflection at all of my views on public safety or policing or anything like that. Um, but. Yeah, I just kind of think of what he would have thought <laughs> about about what, this what kind would of that thing. Be? What would he think? Oh, uh, well, he was an abolitionist uh, in general uh, and believed in a whole host of other methods for uh, ensuring public safety. So abolishing police? Did you hear about this? He, pa- I mean, I don't need to get into it too much, but he was part of Black Unity and he was a march leader and he was prominent in spring here in Springfield and in Eugene and. Um, passed away recently. It was really hard to hear. On the 26th, there's going to be, for people who know knew him, 
knew them. Uh, they used they them pronouns, uh, is my understanding. The twenty sixth, uh, if you're an ally, you know, show up. Just that's just what I think of right now because that's where my heart is at. Another thing I was thinking about saying during healthcare is like we can humanize these conversations more if we really think about the people involved, and that's 100%. that's just where this gets to because I don't know that much about. The Springfield the, situation. The I was only thinking about the four state I voted for measures. It. I voted for it because, you know, Sean Van Gordon and I talked about it. And you can go listen to the podcast that, that I have with him. We talked about it uh, a lot. And and I basically, I have I have faith in the direction that, uh, that the new police chief, Chief Shearer, is taking Springfield. And I'm going to give him a little bit of time to, to build a culture. And I, I mean, so far, there's no reason not to. And I like what Sean said on my podcast about how... Uh, people like Barbara Kenny, who continue to put his feet to the fire, he embraces that. He welcomes that, and uh, you know because Barbara Kenny, you know her uh, adult kid was was killed by gunfire. Stacy Kenny, Stacey yeah. Kenny was killed by uh, police, and and it was ex- excessive force, and it was a completely uncalled for situation, and yeah. So um, you know, there's a lot of people in leadership right now in Springfield that actually em- embrace that kind of, uh, accountability. And, and so I'm optimistic. We'll, we'll see. I, I wouldn't say I have hope. I just, yeah, I think that there's, I've run into very few people on the far right, uh, or proud boys that think the police are perfect and great, yeah. you know? And, and well, so I, we should not misrepresent how ever, how anyone thinks or you know, try to get to know people and, what they're about and why they believe what they believe. I, yeah, I, I've not even I've seen Back the Blue, but I don't really even think that everyone, if you go to a Back the Blue event, would probably think that like, I don't know, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I guess, I guess people like, are complicated, yeah. and you know, because there's but, libertarians who don't like police <laughs> that no, are sure. that are right wing. For you sure, know? there's you all know. sorts of things, and there's people on all on all sides who have positive views and and of, of police and appreciate police interactions in their their lives where. Safe, uh, unsafe situations have been intervened with and support has been has come to victims police when you say police as a whole just like anything i think that's an unfair thing because police departments have a certain type of leadership and we are seeing with the passage of gun bill 114 that there's sheriffs across the state that are like we refuse to enact uh these new laws uh, i personally spoke about it before the election before the votes were counted uh in the gun bill 114 that leaving the sheriff's departments to be at to be taking on the task of registering guns and and giving the permits I'm not a fan of I wasn't a fan of that in the gun bill uh, we'll see what what sticks after litigation for this bill but you know there's sheriffs that immediately said we're not going to enforce that and it's like no you're going to do your job or you're going to be removed and this is why a lot of people especially young people that are not going to stand for that kind of stuff are like you know leaning towards abolish you know like abolitionist mentality i don't agree with defund the police but when you have people that that openly publicly to to on in newspapers that are sitting sheriffs that say okay this new law we won't enforce that that's not going to happen no 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 that's not your job you don't get to decide which laws to enforce you know you have to enforce the law it's not your job to write the law and so uh that is unacceptable for me for people to say that they're just not going to do it. And I know that there's going to be all kinds of people that'll cry foul on it. And I'll point out the hypocrisy in their argument because they will, you know, it's, this is the problem with people that people have with police. If we're not going to see accountability and the same treatment equally across the board, then we're going to cry foul period. And we're never going to stop until we start seeing accountability. And you know, the gun bill is going to be massive and it's going to be something that's going to cause a lot of, anger and vitriol in our society in our area especially where i live in springfield that you will feel it you know and i'm i'm you know we had a school shooting in in springfield in 1998 and this is the first time that we've seen anything legislative that's tried to address anything i don't know if it would have prevented that you know but at the same i mean right i don't know universal back i i support some of the stuff in universal background checks uh, but there's going to be a lot. Of, I mean, I would imagine that some of the sheriffs that are crying foul about the enforcement of uh, the permits for the guns, it's because they themselves have guns that would be illegal. Hmm. I don't get that fired up talking about guns. I don't have that much to contribute to this conversation. I mean, uh, my partner did not vote for 114. I don't really know if I need to put my private vote on the record for it, but I'm, not, I'm just not that 
enthused to talk about it. It sucks when people, it's very painful and sad when people are, have their lives torn apart by gun violence. That yeah. sucks. And, yeah. and, and, and then and there's also always arguments about, and sometimes those arguments are sound that like, we don't know how to prevent that. Or, or there's no single bill that will prevent every, um, I shouldn't have said that it's the sound argument that we don't know how to prevent because we do the centers for disease control should be able to study gun violence as a phenomenon, a public health phenomenon. We can use data and figure out how to reduce the likelihood of death. Well, I want to be clear too. I'm not talking about the bill itself. I had my own issues with, I vocalized that. I'm just saying that if the bill, if the law is put into effect, the sheriffs don't get to decide if they're going to enforce it or not. That's not their job. It seems to me that the magazine uh, limit is a reasonable thing, you know, for example. Um, here I am just and they talking. Said that, and they said <laughs> I was that like, they, I don't and, want to talk about this. And they said but, that they won't enforce it. Yeah. So, that, I mean, it's like, wait a minute. Like, you know, you don't, I don't know. We'll see how well, that Well, we have to out. pray that, that an incident that proves that they should have been enforcing it doesn't happen. But we don't have that assurance that that incident won't happen. Somebody could do a mass shooting with those magazines and murder a ton of people anytime. And it w- not only would it occur, it wouldn't be news. It wouldn't be news anymore if three, four, five people were shot. Yeah, there's a mass shooting in Bend and it lasted, what, 48 hours or less in Oregon? These things are not news anymore. And that is that's really pretty troublesome. Startling. Yeah. And that's part of why I don't know what to contribute to the conversation because, for example, I don't really trust government, da da da. I'm, you know, there's certain things where liberty uh, has, 100%. has a lot of, um, merit. I was out shooting archery today. I love shooting archery. Um, and so I just don't really know always where to go with these conversations. I, I'm really troubled when it comes to schools and malls and things like that. Um, yeah. and I hope we can try to work together more to figure out. So I got one more, how gonna, to not accept it. We're going to talk about is the slavery bill, uh, that, passed narrowly removing language from the state constitution allowing slavery and involuntary servitude as a form of punishment and i think that there's a lot to this the fact that it that 40 what five percent of people voted no i do think that even though slavery i don't want to defend i i voted yes on this because i personally support people's rights in jail you know, like that they, if they don't want to work, then that's fine. They're already having their freedom taken. And you can make the argument that, that well, they made that decision. But the thing is, is that I, I don't, it's, it's difficult for me to explain quickly. But, you know, as far as our, the way that we've looked at crime and criminals, there's this thing in society that I think that we need to watch out for. And it's vengeance. It's people that want vengeance. You see it on social media. And so with this slavery bill, it's not to, to everyone that voted no on it. It's not about race. It's not. It's not. I really believe that some people it is. And that's troubling. But that's a separate issue. There's people out there that are like, you break the law, you need to pay the punishment. And the way that they and it's true in some cases when you when you when you hurt families that 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 there needs to be some kind of swift justice. But it's the way people approach it with vitriol in their soul that worries me. You know, that people have this kind of attitude of like, you see it sometimes where people's responses. We're all is, seeing it. Oh my gosh. It's, it's not even sometimes it's so inundating all over the place where people, I mean, I posted some memes or some little quick little reels of my trip in DC and I've gotten so much hate on them. And it's like people that are like you baby killing asshole. And it's just like, dude, that we're not talking about the same thing, but it's just when someone, someone is charged with a crime and it gets put on social media. People are like, hang them. You know, you know, they haven't even been found guilty yet of that crime. A lot of times they're not found guilty of those crimes. The court looks at it, looks at the situation, goes, you know what? We're going to drop this, you know? And, and yet we never hear those stories. I just, I, I worry sometimes about how much when it comes to crime and punishment, people want vengeance. And I just worry about that. That's all I want to say. Now with the, sh- the slavery bill, a lot of it was language. And, and I think that there was some uh, prison or jails that were kind of worried about the way that it was language because it changes and adds more paperwork <laughs> and <laughs> some different things. But it is troubling to a lot of people to see 45% uh, when there's something that's like, let's remove this, you know, from the language in our Oregon constitution. And people are like, no, I don't want to remove slavery. I mean, it needed to be removed. I think there's a lot of common sense in that, dude. I mean, I'm very certain that slavery is a bad thing and i don't think anyone should be uncertain of it 
pretty yeah. simple. Yeah. I mean, yeah, even as a punishment for a crime, I just, yeah, I, I don't think that. That's not very much liberty, I'll tell you that much. When, yeah. But I understand, people do break the law, and they do need to be punished, but I don't know. That wasn't, it, to be fair, it wasn't really written out very well for people to understand what it meant. I think we're spending a lot of time on these measures, man. Like, I know you want to get to other stuff, too. So okay, let's move we on. We got the crux of it, and I voted for it, and I think you voted for it, and it passed. And Yeah. So now, Joe Biden. I want to talk about Joe Biden because I think, it, you know, the midterm typically in history does not go well for the sitting president that's new. You know, in the first... in the first uh, Yeah, since World War II, it's always gone badly, except for in 2002 because of 9-11. And so this is, I mean... It's pretty significant that I would call this a major victory for Joe Biden. And I would also call it's way too early to be talking about the 2024 election. But, you know, Donald Trump decided to announce that he's running. And Joe Biden has definitely already you, said you that. You ever go to like high school basketball tournament back in the day and like the other teams getting announced and everybody in the student section is holding up a newspaper in front of their face like they're not yeah, paying any that's attention? That's basically what it was. That's what I kind of want to be when I about. That guy running for president again. It's like, got the newspaper in front of me. I know the shit you're saying. It's lame. It's, bo- I don't know. It's just, I, I, I worry about a live stream saying lame because it's actually a slightly ableist term, but it's just played out, bro. It ain't tight. It ain't cool. Um, your own followers were trying to leave your ballroom and security wouldn't let them because the speech was boring. Yeah. So, I, you know, what, I mean, as of right now, uh, what grade would you give Joe Biden on his first first term so far? Uh, it depends. Like what I said about presidents before. I mean, if I said that every president can't get better than a D, uh, then I would probably give him a D minus. I mean, I I don't know if I want to give any president an A. That's fair. It's so uh, such a stupid question. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Okay, so from expectation, like if I'm the if I'm an educator and I'm like this Joseph Robinette kid is looks like he's gonna be. Um, Meh, and then he outperforms me. My expectation, yeah, maybe give him like a B plus. Yeah, I'll um, say this. I'll say this. Okay, about about Joe Biden. If you're talking about the balance of power in in Washington, yeah, maybe he had a good midterm, right? And let's see some results now. I mean, there's been some stuff that's happened. Obviously, inflation, and you can pinpoint. You can't pinpoint one thing that's done that. It's not policies by Joe Biden. There's some talk that I've been hearing about. Joe Biden bringing manufacturing jobs back. Let's see it. Let's see it actually happen. You know, and that would be incredible. And and Democrats have Ch- a Chips Act. Yeah. When you saw, I mean, yeah. the marijuana stuff. Sure. That's marijuana uh, will be definitely on the ballot to federally legalize in 2024. Mark my words. It will dude, be federally on the ballot. Optics are way too much of how we perceive our public policy nowadays. 100%. And so there's this idea that Joe Biden is a certain person who uh, is has no energy, doesn't uh, diligently see uh policy issues through and uh is you know um just unproductive or or failing at his job and it is just i don't think it's true i really don't i I think it's more that he's a he's a fairly conservative democrat a centrist guy who's kind of feeling like with this chance to have to have the presidency in a rare moment he's kind of been able to work with people activists who have said you know this green energy policy uh you know fighting for women's rights, you know, the, he, he, he seems that his years and decades of legislative understanding of what the job of being a senator is and everything like that, it's playing into his ability to, to get things done. I, and so, um, but a lot of people are just not, and I don't blame people for this. I more blame the media and society and the political system. People are not seeing federal government benefits on the ground in general i think it's really rare that people really see that stuff they they might see their mayor at a saturday market or they might see you know their sheriff but they just don't see a lot of stuff from federal government and and so we're really uh sometimes we're talking about the conversation more than we're talking about the the issues themselves which might be what i'm doing but absolutely so you know I don't have a ton of time, yeah. <laughs> but I wanted to uh, segue into this. So we are at about the halfway mark of the vice presidency of Kamala Harris. <laughs> and so that, uh, you know, it brings me to a story about my, t- my trip to Washington. So I wanted to share this. So we went to uh, Washington, D.C. on Tuesday night 
Uh, we flew in on election night on the red eye. So I got there Wednesday morning. Uh, it was really wild. This is my first time in Washington, D.C. And it was really wild to be there during the election. We would run around town, look at the monuments, do different things. I went and toured the Capitol. I went to the Botanical Gardens, went to the Library of Congress, you know, did all these different things, took some pictures in front of the Supreme Court, Lincoln Memorial, all these, you know, iconic things that I've, I've looked at since, since I was a kid. And to go back to my hotel room and to turn on the news and have it be election coverage and they're right behind him is the Capitol. And I'm like, I'm there. It was pretty awesome. It was pretty great. And on Friday, which was veterans day, we, uh, we were like, I think the best thing we could do on veterans day is to go to, uh, Arlington cemetery. And so we hopped on a, a bus. We, well, cause we stayed about a block and a half from the Metro station, which was amazing because you could hop on it super quick you go over to Virginia. That beautiful white arch of the ceilings of the metro, is that still... It's yeah, there's pretty, different stations, yeah. Yeah, but yeah so... Uh, and you can see my pictures if you follow me on socials. I posted a bunch of pictures of it and stuff. And so, uh, you know, we're on the bus, and or we take a subway, and then we go to the Arlington Cemetery, and we walk up and we go in, and they're like, are you here for the shuttle? And we're like, yep. And I had no idea what they were talking about. I'm not going to lie. And they were like, okay, so the shuttle, and this is what this woman says to us. She says, uh, the president's going to be here, but when you take the shuttle out to where they're going to speak, you're not going to be able to leave. Is that going to be okay with you? And I said, absolutely. Uh, The president's here. This is incredible. You know, so I get on the shuttle and it's basically like elongated golf carts. There's a row of three of them. And they told us there was only going to be two sets of shuttles. So it was a pretty exclusive event and I'm looking around and there's military digni- uh, dignities, uh, dignitaries, and then there's average everyday veterans. I mean, with jeans and uh, Wrangler shirts and stuff, you know, and, and NASCAR, whatever it is, like what you would, <laughs> I mean, there's a stereotype, but like there, cause veterans come in all shapes and sizes, you know, sure. but there's a certain type of veteran that, that I, I, I think of all kinds of people, but anyways, there was, I'm just saying average citizens were there with yeah. dignitaries. It was an awesome event. So I get taken out to this thing. And I, the first, the guy in front of me, I said, are we literally, we're going to see the president speak. And they're like, no, 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 no. She misspoke. The president speaks on Memorial day. The vice president speaks on, on veterans, veterans day. day and the vice president, she's going to lay the wreath on the, on the tomb of the unnamed soldier. And then she's going to walk over to the amphitheater and then give a speech. And I was like, this is amazing. I cannot believe that I'm getting to do this. So we take the shuttle, we go over there, it's pouring rain. I allowed Dana to convince me not to bring an umbrella. I don't know why, but, but, uh, all I had was a raincoat, a hat. I was wearing jeans. I was not, we had no idea what we were walking into. So we go out and I sit, you know, I'm sitting pretty close and you can go to my socials and you can watch a video that I posted, uh, with it. And we look over and there's Jill Biden and there's the secretary of T- defense, Lloyd Austin, and there's general Milley and a couple more of the generals. And I'm like, how did this, how is this happening? I mean, it was an exclusive event. I bet you that there was probably 500 people max. Dude, like, Dr. Jill Biden has so much energy. Oh, yeah. You know, it was, she's so tenacious. Yeah. Like the fact that, that Joe is presumably out of town, you know, and, yeah. and she's still yeah. going to these functions because, yeah. because she believes in the government. She well, believes no, and in it's the, a huge deal. I mean, she's worked tirelessly with veterans in the little bit of time that they've been in office. Her and Kamala Harris both are doing a lot to work with veterans. And uh, they were talking about some of it, but they didn't want to make it a, a political event. But there was like the PACT Act, Act that's, uh, you know, helping veterans. And, and I mean, there's just a lot happening that's positive. And, you know, I got to say this too. There was no partisanship feel when I was in Washington. It was government work. I didn't feel that sense of that at all. I felt... I mean, the people in Washington D.C. were were so kind. Uh, where we because you were in the swamp, man. Drain yeah. the swamp. No, sorry. where we were staying, staying uh, was really close to the uh, museum of the natural of the American uh, uh, Indian, and it's Native American Heritage Month, and so there was a very strong Native American presence at the hotel that I was staying at. That was amazing. People and a lot of veterans that are Native Americans, a lot. And so those, I, I didn't realize this or I just, maybe I was unaware, but th- I talked to a couple and they were saying that Veterans Day is really big in Native American circles. And I was like, this is really interesting. And I, I mean, I got to tell you, after going to DC, my level of patriotism is extremely high right now. Amazing. And it was so incredible. I mean, some of the stuff that we got to do, and I want to give a shout out to my partner, Dana, because she is the best organizer 
organizer of trips. And anybody that's followed us on socials will attest <laughs> that the things that we do in a short amount of time is phenomenal. And yeah. so I'm very lucky for the life that I get to live. And, and so, yeah, I just wanted to say that three tips real quick before we get out of here and I'm gonna have you close us out three tips. If you go to Washington DC and this is what it is Tour the monuments at night. So take one of the hop on hop off tours, the buses, they're, they're corny and cheese ball and the people that you're around are goofy. But that being said, it's a beautiful thing to see the monuments at night and it driving in DC is a nightmare. So you have to take public transit and the monuments at night are so beautiful. Lincoln Memorial lit up. It's so, they do such a phenomenal job. They'll take you over to the Jefferson Memorial, to the FDR Memorial, and to, to look at Washington, D.C. across the Potomac River is just a beautiful thing. Now, don't go to the museums on the weekend <laughs> because uh, the lines are just absolutely atrocious. And then stay as close as you can to a metro station. When you look for your hotel, that's the only thing in D.C. that you should look for. How close is it to the metro station? If it's within a block and a half, then you're going to be golden. Because then you can go to the 9-11 Memorial at the Pentagon. Then you can go to Arlington Cemetery and then be right back into the hub of D.C. And so I, I think those are three really big keys. Uh, you know, Thomas, I, I appreciate you so, so much. So you're, for- you're allowed to send people to the Capitol but the last president can't send people to the Capitol. I don't want them to go break windows. <laughs> Just yeah. No, I mean, eh. would you say that this was a tourism storm? You were storming the, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I mean, I, dude, we it's, know it, how. you cannot tour the Capitol now without, um, yeah, no, without feeling that. And without thinking about it, I posted a picture it's of Nancy wild. Pelosi's office, which it's not going to be her office very soon, but, yeah. uh, you know, and you just think there was security guards blocking that door and that's an everyday thing now from now on. Like they, oh. they'll never, you know, and they, they, they said something, they said, we're not going to be able to go. What is, I, I can't, I can't remember the room, what it's called. The, the floor, you can't go on the house floor oh. basically. And they said, the guy literally said this and I call, I call foul on it, but he goes, he was great though. The tour guide, but he goes, we can't go into the uh, uh, house floor because of long pause COVID protocols. And I was like, "Uh uh-huh, that's why. Because no one around, I mean, masks are recommended. There's no real sense of COVID. COVID exists just like it does in Eugene. You know, like where, I mean, it's going to be part of our life. There's going to be some people wearing masks because they want to take those precautions. And then people are making the choice for themselves at this point if they want to mask up. But in D.C., it felt the same. You know, there was nowhere that you had to wear a mask to go into. And so for them to say, it's because of COVID protocols, I call foul. I think that there's a different reason that you can't go into. Sounded even, like a tongue-in-cheek answer to me. Yeah. It was yeah. a great tour, though. And one more thing on that was interesting is how Donald Trump, just mentioning Donald Trump is a no-no. And it, it's a crazy thing that that's the truth. We went to the, Was- to the White House Visitor Center, and I just was looking around, and I just was kind of making an observant thought about how there's no pictures of Donald Trump. There was none, you know, and there was a couple of Melania and I found one of Trump, but there was a ton of Obama and there's a ton of Bill Clinton. There's a ton of a bunch of different, you know, Jimmy Carter, Reagan, you know, and there was none of Donald Trump. And I, I made that comment to someone and it was like, I had, you know, just said, you can't say those words to people. And that is so troubling to me where if you just mention Donald Trump's name, it invokes a reaction that is negative for so many people, even if they're just mad at you for them loading what you think about him in their mind, even if they defend him. It's just, he's a train wreck for our society. And so I don't know. But Yeah, but if I talk about um, like a diarrhea covered banana split, that's exactly. I could bring that up, and I can't be mad that someone else is like, "Oh, that's gross." It's like you brought up the di- diarrhea-covered banana split. <laughs> I don't even know what you're talking about. So, Thomas, I'm the- just saying people are gonna react foul to stuff that's foul. Well, but it, it just is—it's an interesting. I get thing. you. I get so, you though. So, people assume a lot based on you bringing that yeah, up. Probably. I just I did, and you know, I was wearing a Wrangler shirt, so who knows? Yeah. Uh, so. The next few months, what do you got going on? We're gonna play one of your songs at the end of this, but what do you got going on? At the end of this, for the audio listeners, you get to hear um, literally is such an exclusive. I've, I've dropped tracks on your shit before, but this is like my first single in a long time. And it's coming out for real on Thanksgiving, which is my birthday, November 24th. But Air Fryer is the song, and we're going to play that. I'm really excited about it because it's my first beat that I've ever rapped on and released um, as a real single or anything. Oh, so wow. I'm really excited about that. Um, and, you know, 
I'm really hopeful that in a, a couple of days we'll know the result of the Wow Hall CCPA Community Center for Performing Arts board election. Um, stepped up to that, was recruited by the chair and the vice chair, which was really nice. Yeah. Five uh, openings for six candidates. So I'm going to feel really left out and like I was really an underperforming candidate if I'm the one person that doesn't get on it. But that would be really neat because we want to improve educational programming uh, in the space and really make it uh, continually more relevant to more of the community as well as making it more safe. So um, really excited about Wow Hall. Always trying to strive for more uh, influence and, and unheard voices in the city of Eugene government too. So like continuing to be involved with the human rights commission, Willamette natural area, citizen planning committee, as well as, um, you know, just advocating at, at pub- public comment at meetings, um, and all sorts of good stuff. So yeah, Thomas Huda, thank you so much. Uh, we're going to get out of here. Thanks y'all. Gradient. So like I had mentioned before, uh, you know, we're going to play a song, but before we do, I want to say that holidays could affect the podcast being produced, but I do plan on being back black Friday with a conversation with an applicant for the vacant Eugene city council seat, Daniel Isaacson. You also applied for that. Hey, why not? So if I I was eligible, I figured I'd throw myself in and I was. So, yeah. So that's really cool. We'll find out more about that as, as time goes. Uh, And next week, yeah, we'll, we'll have Daniel Isaacson on the council will vote to fill the position sometime soon. Do you know when that's supposed to be? Uh, December 12th, I believe. Okay. But so. there's a whole process with interviews and in general, I, I don't want that to have anything to do with, uh, me. If I'm chosen up, I will take that job really, really seriously. And I'll, and I'll view that as something where I'm responsible to the community, but anyone who gets that position should, oh, there's and they nine will. and they will, there were 10 applicants, but I've only seen nine. So I don't know what's going on. You know, we'll just see. I, I want, I believe in a choice, a strong choice for ward seven, which is Santa Clara incorporated river road incorporated, and basically all of Whitaker. And there's some train song in there. And that is a great ward. I love that area of Eugene. Uh, it's, it's just, that's when you think of what my home is, I'm like, yes, I'm going to wrap my arms around that part of Eugene and call that home forever. Yeah. And so, so yeah, but that's, I mean, that's awesome. And that you put your name in, we got, we got Joel LeBoa as well that I'm aware of, and I'm sure there's more. And Dan- he didn't uh, complete it. He didn't. He, didn't, he, he decided. He didn't. Not to. Okay. Mm-hmm. But Daniel Isaacson. Daniel's won the, won, Daniel won the straw poll at the uh, event. Daniel brings a lot of amazing qualifications. Yeah. So Daniel's going to be on. Uh, he's in the West Indies right now, but he's going to be on the podcast on Black Friday. So anybody listening, you can tune into that. And thank you so much for listening to this. And thank you, Thomas, for doing this on short notice. We're going to end this with a song. This is a song by Thomas Hira, a.k.a. Gradient. Uh, and then the song is called yeah, Air Fryer. Like Pretty sad, no one know you in your city, Brad. And I thought you said you wanted pretty bad. Living life like you allergic to the kitty cat. While I spit in ways I know you couldn't rap. I played 11 states, did some van tours. Something I'll always be grateful to Sam for. And I bet you see me back up in your face quicker. But the pandemic wasn't something we could plan for. Pretty whack, no one know you in your city, Jack. While all up on my wall are plenty pretty plaques. Yeah, they think I'm capping when I'm spitting facts. You doggy paddle in the rapids where I'm swimming laps. I might try to summon every tight flow. Have them fear me every yearly album cycle. Sense of humor, but sentimental too. I'm a silly gent who never grew up, and that's who I'm a recite for. Pretty glad now they know me in your city, Chad. Must have missed ya. I'm buzzing till I'm Mr. Fab. Web browser tabs, learned any rap my fist could grab. So RIP to Doom, DMX. And get the gab after alliteration and with no mistake made. Black Alicious A to G, I played in eighth grade. Language arts, Miss Mora loved it and said we're blessed. Last year she had me visit as a special guest. Second place for Eugene Mayor, the status real. Guess the youngest out of seven still had appeal. Pretty songs, I'm laying eggs and flying off. See which ones y'all incubate when I am gone. Rah, throwing papayas on Viacom. My legal team is like, which side is my client on? My beat is thinking, am I just noise or am I a song? Ten years after 2012, we got the Mayans wrong. Even great-grandmother C Now I'm crispier than Charizard Burning butterfree Fuck with me I keep it crispy as karage Or eight-day-old dog shit on a hot day Y'all could stay unaware And you wouldn't know no better I'm on display like wearing Rivers Cuomo sweater Keep it crispy
You keep it crispy. Is that what it is? Keep it crispy? Yes. Or Corpus Christi? <laughs>